Hello and welcome <laughs> and welcome back to Don't Read Into a Podcast, aka Drip with two eyes. So this week is really special because we're gonna be talking about Twilight. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, basically I'm not gonna be talking about Twilight, which sucks, but I know I'm gonna get a lot of hate from you people about it. So I'm just not going to do it, but I'm going to think about doing it. And the whole time I'm doing this episode, just know I'm thinking about Twilight. <laughs> anyway, this week, the theme of the film, TV show, and book is kind of underdog voices. Just characters really growing into their own and becoming a more holistic version of themselves. I kind of alluded to this last episode when I talked about Jamie, but I do really like when side characters become main characters. And although that doesn't happen in the film as much well i guess in the film i talk about it kind of happens but definitely in the tv show two characters do that thing where they're kind of side characters at first but become more of main characters and really take up the screen and in the book it's really just about one character but she's an example of an underrepresented voice an underdog who fights and becomes a fuller version of herself a more confident version of herself and ultimately a happier version of herself so yeah Starting off, as usual, we have a film. I've been waiting to watch this movie for since the second it came out. <laughs> it's called Bad Times at the El Royale. Here's a little clip from the movie. Uh, it's just obviously the audio, but it's for the teaser trailer, and it's kind of like a jingle to the El Royale, which is a hotel. Um, but I think it really gives a good background to the film, and it kind of fits the energy of the film really well because it's a jingle. It's a little creepy, but it's cool. And yeah, here we go. Welcome to the El Royale. and Nevada. I would be lying if I said that I didn't pick this movie solely because of Dakota Johnson, because I did. I love that woman. I did initially pick it because of that, because I'm trying to like work through all of her filmography. And I know what you're thinking, like, isn't she the girl from 50 Shades? I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. This woman is very talented. And her house, goodness. Her kitchen, so cute. There's a little chair in her kitchen. <laughs> I know someone's going to text me. So one of you 20 listeners, thank you, is going to text me and be like, how do you know what Dakota Johnson's kitchen looks like? There's a video on Architectural Digest or whatever, and it's great. Anyway, so that, that's the reason I initially picked the movie. But this movie is so much more than I thought it was going to be. So it was written and directed by Drew Goddard. I'll be honest with you, I didn't know who he was before I watched this movie. <laughs> that's embarrassing. I might have to cut that out if he's like super important. Let's see young man okay yeah so it is embarrassing <laughs> because he <laughs> was nominated for best writing for an adapted screenplay which i assume was for the martian i don't actually know but it says here he did the martian so that's embarrassing that i didn't know who he was anyway back to it so this movie is very impressive when i give you the brief synopsis you're gonna be like what the heck if you haven't already heard of this movie 
even if you have, I like, I, I've heard, I heard of this movie the second it came out, right? But I had no idea what the synopsis was. I just, I knew there was a little bit of crime involved, maybe a little sprinkle of murder here and there, but I didn't know what it was. Let me read you the cast of this film. Obviously, we have Dakota Johnson. Then we have Chris Hemsworth. Okay. Jeff Bridges. Okay, cool. John Hamm. Cool, cool, cool. Okay. <laughs> I have no words for the way that this Drew Goddard guy got Cynthia Erivo on this film. Not only to act, but she did sing as well. How? And I mean, how? Did they get Miss Ma'am the color purple Cynthia Erivo on this film? Somebody provide me the answer because I am still confused. I'm honestly, in a good way, but I just, like, don't understand. She just, like, for some reason, that doesn't make sense in my head for her to be in the same movie as, like, Chris Hemsworth, like, Thor. I don't know. But she did incredible. I And so the, the point of this episode, though, is her. Because <laughs> you don't have this theme of, like, underdog character, underrepresented voices. So I'll just give you the brief synopsis, and then we'll circle back to that. So the year is 1969. There are three people, an annoying polished man, Laramie, I think his name? I don't remember. He has a weird, like, accent. I think it's country. <laughs> it's definitely country. He's played by John Hamm. And then there's this young singer, Darlene Sweet, who's played by Cynthia Revo. I mean, whoa. And then there's this old priest. He's not that old, but, he, you know, he's like raggedy man named Daniel Flynn, who's played by Jeff Bridges. And they all arrive at this abandoned but glamorous hotel. And it's really cool because the hotel is divided by the California-Nevada border. So the guests can pick rooms in either Nevada or in California. I know somebody once told me I was saying Nevada wrong, and I think it's because I was saying Nevada, but I don't know. Now I can't tell which one's right or wrong, but I like the sound of Nevada more than Nevada. Anyway, the hotel manager takes forever to show up, but he's nice enough. You know, he's like cool, I guess. He's young, but a little suspicious. And a little later, a young hippie named Emily, aka Dakota Johnson, shows up and she's super standoffish. She's like kind of a bad girl. And the movie follows them and they're staying at this really suspicious hotel, but it totally takes a turn after the first act. So like I said last episode, I'm not going to say anything that happens after the first act. But I will say there is murder involved, kidnapping, politics, major allusions to JFK and Marilyn Monroe and their love affair. There's a huge thing about cults. The whole nine yards, man. It's really the whole nine yards. But the movie is reminiscent of like a Tarantino film, but it's super fun and unpredictable. Like I, I think when people try to imitate Tarantino, they do it sort of to the T or like it's just a boring movie with like a huge budget kind of thing. But this movie was certainly not like that. It was like Tarantino with a spin. Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> I, I, I don't really care too much about him you know like i don't i don't know i like thor ragnarok <laughs> once again i have good taste i swear but he shows up literally guns a blazing and turns the movie around a little bit sort of halfway through the second act and he it pretty much is the instigator for the climax of the film in my opinion uh somebody could totally prove me wrong but he is sort of like the opposite of like deus ex machina in this movie i'm sure there's a term for that but i don't know but he really is like a big menace in the film and the, and the thing that i like about the movie is that the the menace sort of shifts multiple times we think we're scared of something until we're scared of another thing and to circle back to the theme of the episode which is the underdog i thought 
Darlene Swee, played by Cynthia Revo, was most definitely the most important character in the movie. And I also want to say she's the main character. I mean, it's an ensemble cast. The movie takes turns sort of going through different people's perspectives. And the title cards are really cool too because it'll introduce people based on the room number, except I think just Chris Hemsworth character because he wasn't staying in the hotel. Even when they give the background of the hotel manager, it says the room he stays in, which I thought it was really cool. I don't know if that makes sense, but basically just like the title card right before it goes into the perspective of another character to give their background and flashback to what their life was like. The title card, instead of saying their name, it'll be like room six. And I think Darlene was in like room four or five or something like that. And so it said like room four or five, whatever it was, and then went into her background. Basically, the reason I think this is because I watched multiple movies sort of for this theme and I was going to do another movie, but I just Darlene Sweet's character. I don't know. It was one of those characters that for some reason really strikes a chord, I think, and I think would strike a chord with a lot of people because she's this aspiring young singer in Hollywood you know, people have turned her down repeatedly and repeatedly. She's a woman of color. It's the late 60s. Like, racism is very much present. I mean, it still is. Like, the second she walks into the hotel, John Hamm's character, Laramie, I think, says something off about her being black. And, like, it was just ugh. it's one of those things that right off the bat, you're like, what? <laughs> but her character is incredible. I mean, it's like this underrepresented voice that would otherwise, in a film from the late 70s, I mean, late 60s, early 70s, you wouldn't see Darlene Sweet as the main character of a film. And I think she's the most morally upstanding character. And everyone else is like, there's just, they're so questionable and their morals are so questionable. But I think Darlene Sweet has the most focused vision and everything she does is kind of to defend her herself she never does anything to intentionally hurt people but it's like her voice man it's like it's this vehicle for showing like, how good she is you know and i think films are really good at doing that obviously it's become a tactic now when somebody's really talented a film a lot of the time will harp on that talent and make it heavenly and out of this world so that you can see that that person deep down really is a good person and it, it doesn't take much looking deeply to see that Darlene Sweet really is a good person. I'm still thinking about her and I watched this movie days ago, over four days ago. It's like strange, it's like a really interesting scenario to still be thinking about a character after you, after you watch a movie instead of thinking about the climax or the ending or something. I'm just thinking about her, her whole character, her life. I mean, uh, she's incredible. And her voice, I mean, it's Cynthia Revo. Like, it is an absolute blessing. <laughs> and I know this is so dramatic, but it is such a blessing to be able to listen to that woman sing off-Broadway and, like, on a film. It's just incredible. It's literally just incredible. I, I have a friend, Regina, <laughs> if you're listening, hey, who would show me these videos of her singing, oh my gosh, like freshman year of college. And I would, I just remember being like, she's unreal. Like this woman is unreal. And like the fact that she was in this movie, I had no idea she was in this movie because again, I only watched this movie because I thought Dakota Johnson was like the main character. She wasn't really the main character. Um, she was pretty important, but anyway, Darlene, man, her character, the way she grows throughout the movie, it's a short time frame. We don't get years with Darlene, we get days and you see her grow you see her mind and how smart she is and so tactical and she's not the mastermind behind anything in this film she's just a human being and i think oh it would be a shame to say that there's another character that 
does what Darlene Sweet's character does and what Cynthia Revo is able to do and the vehicle of having her voice be kind of this blanket statement for this is like a pure human being. It's just one of those things. It's like in literature, whenever you see water, you think rebirth or whenever the color white keeps coming up, it's purity. Anyway, <laughs> first <laughs> 15 minutes of this is me just gushing over Cynthia Revo. I just think it's like really, really a huge deal that she's in this movie and she's able to sing not just once for one minute. And it's not a musical either. It's just like she genuinely gets to sing and gets to be perceived as a singer in this film. And she's just so good at acting. She like the, the whole time I wasn't thinking Cynthia Revo, which is insane because Cynthia Revo, I was thinking darling sweet, you know, uh, she's magical. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. The mise-en-scene is cool. I don't love that Chris Hemsworth is shirtless pretty much the entire time. I don't really know what that's supposed to accomplish. If you're trying to serve me cult vibes, just make him have long hair and wear no shoes with like a flannel and like gross, disgusting pants. You don't have to make him shirtless all the time. I thought it was distracting. I don't know. I, I don't want to like suck the fun out of the room, but I really thought him being shirtless the whole time was genuinely a distraction. And I don't like watching movies and feeling like I'm being played with or manipulated, even though that's what film is sometimes, but most of the time, all the time. However, I don't love feeling that way. So that uh, that was like a little blip in the mise-en-scene, but uh, man, Darlene's outfits. I, I just love that woman. I really do. There were some pitfalls in the movie, I will say. I think uh, it was a little scattered. The ensemble casting is really hard to do, but there's, there's a way to strike a balance. And I know that there's a way to strike a balance because I've seen films that are exclusively ensemble pieces that are balanced perfectly. And it's difficult, but I think if you're going to tackle such a hefty amount of characters, you should probably strike a better balance i just i felt a little scattered some characters just weren't there at all <laughs> like they would just disappear and randomly come back i felt that way about the hotel manager i think dakota johnson's character was not given enough screen time but obviously i only watched this movie initially for her <laughs> so i don't know i think it was unique though there's an element in the film where you just kind of realize like oh this is not the film i was expecting to watch and it has to do with the architecture of the hotel just keep that in mind the architecture okay let me rephrase the unseen architectural elements of the hotel really shift the narrative for you <laughs> and that honestly that is the best i've done to avoid spoiling a film overall i would give it probably three and a half stars, maybe closer to three. Once again, I'm not the most lenient with films on ratings. I just think that it was fun. It was really fun, but there were some elements that just like really, eh, just took me out of the film. I will say Cynthia Revo is responsible for three of those stars. <laughs> The reason that I know for a fact this film didn't get like a four star or above is because I'm not very keen on violent films. I'm not Tarantino's biggest fan. Obviously, the man's a genius. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say he's a horrible director. No, I just, he's not my favorite. Definitely not. I really like not super violent movies that are super outlandish. I appreciate them and I think they're really fun to watch, but I don't give them four stars, five stars, hardly ever. Anyway, <laughs> I'm gonna read a review from 
from Letterboxd, as I do, uh, just a snippet of one. And it says, Bad times at the El Royale is a great reminder for me. Films are allowed to be fun. Sometimes I forget you don't always need to make Schindler's List and that sometimes you can just make a movie that is fun for the sake of being fun. Goddard is tracking to have a career similar to James Gunn, Wes Anderson, and Edgar Wright for me. Making a career out of just having quirky and fun stories that I can enjoy. Why do I like this? To quote Tarantino, because it's fun, Diane. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this whole comment section is like talking about Tarantino. And people either love it or hate it. It's so similar to Tarantino. I don't think it does anything for me in a negative way, other than just the nature of the beast. Like, it's a super violent story. I'm not going to love it. But I did really, I did like it. I thought it was really fun. I mean, I liked it enough to put it on the podcast. But I think a lot of people would enjoy it. I also think it would be a good idea to watch this with friends. I think it could be, I wish I would have watched it with my friends because I read I watched it by myself, which wasn't a horrible idea. <laughs> I do kind of wish I would have watched it with my friends because one big thing is it could have definitely like bred a lot of inside jokes. So yeah, that is all for the film section. I went over time for sure. So hopefully I cut some of this out <laughs> or just go over time. <laughs> anyway, on to the TV show. So for the TV show this week, I'm talking about an HBO show. It's called Los Espookies. And so I think I might have mentioned this last episode, but I also think I might have not mentioned it. But I'm going to say it this episode. So basically, I'm trying to have every episode include something from Latin America because I myself, my family's from Latin America. I'm trying to be more connected to my roots and consume more Latin American entertainment. And I also think it's just important to elevate some Hispanic voices. Anyway, so Los Espookies, like I said, is an HBO show. It's created by Julio Torres, Ana Fabrega, and <laughs> Fred Armisen. <laughs> <laughs> Which, like, I sort of thought was kind of the randomest creator of the show, but also this man is in the show. And it's so weird because he doesn't speak Spanish, I really don't think once. Like, he just has an accent throughout the whole thing. So basically, this is what Wikipedia says the synopsis is. It says the series follows a group of friends trying to turn their love of horror into a successful business where most of their jobs consist of fabricating horror film-like situations and tricking people into thinking they are real. Um, it's really high quality. The set production is super good and the cinematography is very interesting. I kind of did a lot of research on this. I think it was more informal research, if you will. By that, I mean I watched a lot of YouTube videos about this show and I saw one in particular that compared, well, multiple of them actually, compared the gang in Los Espookies, which really consists of four people, to Scooby-Doo and like that gang and I don't know, it was kind of like a character analysis of each of them. So the main character of the show, his name is Renaldo. He's this horror enthusiast and he sort of creates this ensemble of his friends to form the, the group Los Espookies. He's a really good guy, honestly. I think he, he kind of is very idealistic about a lot of things and he's... I'm like laughing thinking of some scenes with him like, okay... Let me go through the rest of the characters. Then there's another character, his name's 
is Andres. He's one of Renaldo's closest friends since they were really young. And he's adopted into a family that has this like chocolate empire. So they're really rich. Andres is really rich. He's kind of spoiled, you know? But he's also, he has blue hair and always wears this one earring that's like a sword and a skull. And he's really edgy, but also he thinks like, he's like special, you know? Like he, he actually is special. Like uh, for example, he's haunted by a mysterious like ghost and uh, throughout the show it like sort of shows some interactions with that like ghost demon and it's like really lighthearted. it's not scary but his character is really interesting because he is this really eccentric kid that's rich but also kind of unheard you know his parents don't really listen to him and another thing that i thought was really cool that they did with andres and his parents is that they never showed it their faces like every scene they would block it in a way so that you couldn't see their faces they were very mysterious powerful figures throughout the show which i think is so cool and then the next her name is Ursula, who is also a friend of Renaldo. Obviously, they're all friends with him. Like, the glue in the group is Renaldo. And she's super cool, very smart, very good with, like, money and, like, big and menial tasks. Like, I just think she's very reliable. At first, she's struggling because she... I think she's a dental hygienist. And in that job, she just feels very unheard. And her boss really is the worst. And he's like, you won't get hired at any other job. You think any other job will let you wear those shoes? And she's wearing, like... Like Doc Martens, you know? Yeah, she's really cool and she really comes into her own throughout the show. Even though she's confident from the beginning, you can really tell that it's like genuine confidence towards the end. And then there's Tati, who's Ursula's little sister, and she's just kind of like a side character, but her stories are so funny. Like everything she's involved in in the show is really, really funny. Like there's, <laughs> there's this whole thing about like pyramid schemes and how Tati falls into a pyramid scheme. Like pyramid scheme after pyramid scheme. I forgot to say, she's a side character at first. She becomes a really, really big character in the show. She's my favorite character next to Ursula, personally. She's really funny and like brings a lot of important things to light during the show. And Fred Armisen's character, Tico, is actually Renaldo's uncle. He's super cool. <laughs> His daughter's the worst, and they both live in LA. But he's kind of like Renaldo's like cheerleader, if you will. And he's really supportive. But yeah, so the show is really well received. On Rotten Tomatoes, it still has a 100% approval rating. And it's just like one of those shows that's kind of ridiculous in some of the plot lines, but it's so funny and you can't tell whether something is like actually a prank or or if it's like <laughs> a demon <laughs> you just can't tell it's so interesting and it's not scary which i really appreciate even though halloween just happened i i don't know i just like i'm not in the mood for scary things right now so i think this i don't know i think this show was really good because it was funny it was a little scary but it wasn't that scary and i really ended up liking the characters and there's only six episodes which i think is insane and they're short episodes too they're like under half an hour and i'm pretty sure that's kind of rare for hbo all of the hbo shows that are that i have watched that are really recent have been long episodes and short seasons but this is short episodes a short season so i don't know but it has been approved for a second season and yeah, I don't know. I think it's really cool too because again, I was looking at a lot of other people's like reviews of the show and I saw that a lot of people were talking about how this show kind of mimics a lot of the Mexican horror genre, which is 
super cool and it's pretty unique because the horror genre in mexico is very flexible it's at least from what i've heard it's able to be mixed with a lot of other genres unlike some horror in hollywood for example the show mixes the horror comedy genres really well and on top of that it also has this like heartfelt drama arc for a lot of the characters so going back to the theme of the episode which is underrepresented voices or the underdog character. I think every single character in the ensemble cast is an underdog, unlike Bad Times at the El Royale, where it's like one character really showed through, um, Cynthia Rivo's character. <laughs> and she was kind of like this un underrepresented voice that was giving a, a pedestal to speak on and to really stand out against the other characters. I think the show does a really good job of showing how every single member of this group is underrepresented and is sort of an underdog, but together kind of as a unit, they they work to have their voices heard and do exactly what they want to do. Like, for example, Andres's character is really... I could do a whole character analysis on that, on that boy, but anyway, he's... Obviously in this very precarious situation because his family is very rich, they own this chocolate empire, they want him to marry someone because they want to join businesses, whatever. And he um he doesn't he doesn't care. Like he does like his money. And it's really, really funny. There was one scene where it was like, you either marry him, because he's also gay, so like he's underrepresented in that sense but the show does a really good job of not being super hyper focused on his sexuality or anything it's just like normal obviously a little dramatized because andres is extremely rich and like kind of this like outlandish character who is in fact being haunted by demons so not the most realistic in that sense but i do like the the way that it tackles sexuality anyway yeah so andres's character is super cool because it's so complicated so there are moments where you really really empathize with him and you think wow like his life kind of sucks right now and he has to marry this man that he honestly doesn't seem to like very much and his family's forcing him to because that that man's family has like a cookie empire or something like that so they want to join empires something like that um and, you know, it's just like he's in the situation where he's like, do I marry someone for this empire? Do I follow this passion of mine with horror and, you know, being working with his friends and doing these crazy prank-like things that go beyond pranks? I mean, they are incredible. <laughs> so his character is super interesting to look at. And he's definitely an underrepresented voice for many reasons. I mean, he's just weird. Like, he has blue hair. It was this crazy earring his fashion sense is great but it's out there you know so his character is super interesting to look at i also like i was saying a little bit earlier that these character i think is one of those really underrepresented voices because she's really she's actually really weird like not because of the way she dresses or because of her hair color or anything but because she's genuinely just like a weirdo like she will say things that i'm just like what did you just say but I think she's like the funniest in the show. I think her and Andres are both really funny. But she gets involved in pyramid schemes. Like she's just a little naive. And by a little, I mean she's extremely naive. And I don't know, I really liked her character and the arc that she has. And that, you know, she's at first, 
an underdog in the way that you don't even recognize that she's an underdog. She's just a side character. Like I said, you don't even think about it until she starts doing things that are super attention grabbing and you start to realize like she's a force to be reckoned with. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, I do really really like her character and the show does have a lot of good reviews. I know a lot of people will feel weird about Fred Armisen because sometimes he's not actually funny at all but it's because he's like super absurd right? But the show is also absurdist and he's not in it that much so if you feel weird about Fred Armisen because he's a really weird man <laughs> then I don't know maybe you won't like this because it is absurdist like him but it's really unique and uh I love stuff like that. And also, side note, before I end this section, I actually got the idea to talk about this episode because my professor, we were talking about shows in Spanish and stuff, and uh, somebody brought up this, this show in class, and I was like, huh. And I had seen like five seconds of it, but I hadn't seen the full thing. So then that comment really got me thinking. So yeah. Also, it was my Spanish class. That's why we were talking about TV shows in Spanish. We didn't go on a complete tangent. But yeah, so that's where I got this idea and I don't regret watching it. I really do like it and I feel very connected to some of the characters. So before moving on, I'm going to read a review that I thought captures my feelings really well. It says, this show grew on me quickly. Love the quirky cast and their dynamics. A breath of fresh air in my opinion. Don't take this show too seriously and you will have a fun time. I totally agree. I think if you take this show too seriously, you're not going to like it. Um, I think it's kind of impossible to take it seriously though because the creators did a good job of like guiding the viewer to like a, a good opinion and just like kind of understanding like you're never really lost in the show, which is really fun. And to finish this segment off, I think the rating I would give it is a four and a half out of five. I'm, I don't want to give it a five because I think there's still some stuff that it could work on namely just some of the side characters i would like to hear from more i want to hear more about Renaldo and his family and his background like i want more background stories and we got some of that from andres but not from the other characters so i think that would would be really interesting but overall i thought it was really great also the new yorker called it off kilter humor which i totally agree with so yeah before moving on we're just gonna have a quick commercial break before going on to the book review portion of today's episode are you looking for a better way to connect with members of the CUA community? Are you behind on the university happenings? Check out SIDPOD, the podcast where your community directors share what is going on in their daily lives and talk about the important things happening in residence life and the university in general. Get the staff's perspective on things and join in the conversation with your own ideas. We're so excited to be working in collaboration with WCUA. New episodes are posted every Wednesday so be sure to check back for new episodes every week. The Catholic U leadership team in the Office of Campus Activities has created a new series about applying leadership skills throughout college and life. Tune in to Leadership in 5 and learn about different leadership lessons from your peers. There is also Cups with Joe, an interview-style program hosted by Joseph Arby over everyone's favorite online platform, Zoom. You can listen to both of these exciting programs on our new Instagram, all one word, Catholic U Leadership. Okay, so for the book portion of this week's episode, I'm talking about The Girl with the Louding Voice, written by Abby DeRay. This book is absolutely incredible. The cover art, once again, just like Mexican Gothic, is beautiful. Absolutely unbelievable. If you're going to judge a book by its cover, you better judge Mexican Gothic and The Girl with the Louding Voice by their cover because their covers are gorgeous. 
and the books are gorgeous. So the book is about a Duni who is a 14-year-old girl from the Agon village. I, the reason I struggled saying that word is because I kept trying to say Aegon, aka Aegon Targaryen from Game of Thrones. Absolutely unbelievable that that has infiltrated my mind that way. Anyway, the Aegon village, which is adjacent to the Akati village. I didn't find much on both of these villages. I think they're very small. I don't know if they're fictional, but I did find some information on the internet about Akati. However, Aegon, I don't know. It, and in the book, it said that Aegon is smaller than Akati and sort of to reference the village it does mention that it's adjacent to Akati so I think the reference point of Akati is just like a bigger village but anyway her father is kind of indifferent to her and her mother has recently died relatively recently it's mentioned in the book that her father didn't really love her mom it was an arranged marriage and Aduni's mom one time told her that before she got married to her dad that she had actually been in love with someone and that she was forced to marry her father. Aduni's mother's dying wish was that Aduni not be taken out of school. And this quote is really popular from the book. I've seen it all over the place. The author has said it in interviews. I've seen it on Goodreads a lot, but basically the quote is, your schooling is your voice child. It will be speaking for you, even if you don't open your mouth to talk. That's what Aduni's mom says to Aduni, obviously, before she dies. And the instant the book starts, we find out that her father is selling her to a 55 slash maybe 60-year-old man. It's not really stated specifically, but it says that the range is around there. But that he looks way older than that, which is crazy. But he is also from the same village, and he has two wives and four kids already. And so she has to stop school. So her mom's dying wish is completely forgotten and cast aside for the sake of money, pretty much, because Aduni's father needs money to pay rent and to buy food. And we find out in the beginning that there really isn't much money for rent. Um, and yeah, I mean, he basically sells Aduni to this man so that he can get a ton of money. And this man is spending a lot of money on Aduni. Uh, the man's name is Marufu, and basically, in the very beginning of the book, she gets married to this man whose first wife, Labake, is cruel and pretty much very jealous of Aduni. But his second wife, whose name is Khadija, is kinder and basically takes Aduni under her wing. Labake is a lot older than Khadija, who is 20 years old, and as I already said, Aduni is 14 year old, years old, and... Labake is kind of jealous because, jealous of both Khadija and Aduni because she was only able to give birth to one child who ended up being a girl, which in Nigeria is not necessarily, well, in small villages in Nigeria, it's not necessarily ideal because the man is the one that works. And that's kind of what Marufu is looking for because he wants two boys to take over his taxi driving business. Yeah, so he ended up looking for another wife after Labake because she could only give birth to a girl. And in fact, this girl is 14 years old and Aduni knows her from when she used to go to school with her, which I thought was wild. Anyway, Khadija, on the other hand, has three girls. Again, all girls, not exactly what Marufu was intending for. So he gave her the ultimatum that if the next child is not a boy, her and her children have to leave. And Khadija is in fact 
pregnant and she's claiming that it's a boy that she is pregnant with and since Marufu is looking for two boys that's the reason he set out to marry Aduni so that he can have another boy and both Khadija's son and Aduni's son can take over his business and sort of you know take care of him as he grows old. Because Aduni was taking out of school her English is not necessarily perfect however the book does mention that her English is far far better than most people in her village and that before she was made to marry she was even a tutor for a lot of the kids in the village who were learning English. This struggle with language is translated in the grammar and diction of the book. The formulation of words and sentences shows that the author is trying to present that Aduni is not a native speaker of English and that she's still grappling with the language and actively learning. But as the book carries forward, we see Aduni's grasp on English get tighter and tighter to the point of almost impeccable fluency. In my opinion, this technique in the book is nothing short of art and dare I say, genius. For parts of the book, I even followed along with the audiobook, especially in the beginning, uh, just to get a good grasp on pronunciation of names, pronunciation of locations, and this accent that was translated through the words and the specific, I don't know, phonetics of some of the words and some of the words were spelled a little bit differently. For example, cigar was spelled S-I-G-A, cigar. <laughs> I tried really hard. That was British. Ugh, whatever. Um, but the audiobook is really good because the woman that, that does the voiceover for it is from Nigeria. Yeah, I thought it was, that audiobook is incredible. Super randomly though, I get audiobooks for free with my library card <laughs> um, using an app called Libby, but I know that different, like, uh, libraries use different apps i guess if you're interested though i would just like look up how to get free audiobooks with my library card in blank county and boom you're set anyway i don't think i've ever seen a book that shows a progression like that i the one that's coming to mind is their eyes were watching god because in that book when somebody's speaking and it's like a quote they'll put the quote in like a specific dialect of english i've seen it like that before but i i don't think i've ever seen it even uh lay that trumpet in our hands i think is what the book is called they did it in in that book as well with quotes though not in the narration which and it's third person i thought it was just it's literally nothing short of genius and i kept thinking throughout the book like it's so incredible that you have to stay consistent with the exact words and grammar devices that you use that are wrong when aduni is narrating actually now that i'm thinking about it it is not third person but whatever <laughs> anyway <laughs> Obviously, it's not third person, Noelia. I, I do think it, it's a really good strategy. And yeah, I just like, I just want to know how the author wrote the book. Did she plan it meticulously? Like what specific grammar problems would occur? Because for example, the reason that the book is called The Girl with the Louding Voice is because Aduni in the beginning, when she says somebody is being loud or something is loud, she says that thing is being louding instead of saying, oh, that thing is loud. So I don't know. I, I just think the book is very special and you can tell throughout the whole thing that this book definitely took a really long time to plan. And yeah, it was just really loved when it was being written. And I guess a trigger warning, the book does sort of touch on sexual assault in Ajuni's life. Yeah, and then there are some things that have to do with violence. So definitely a, a bit of a trigger warning. The author doesn't necessarily go into extreme detail at all, really, about these scenarios. I think she purposely veils them and just kind of nudges for you to fill in the blank of what has just occurred especially like especially with sexual assault but definitely with violence too so it's it's not necessarily explicit in its explicit content but it's still i still think a trigger warning is necessary 
because it does talk about these things. I think lastly, I would just kind of like to talk about the major theme of the book, which I'm sure you can already tell, is this importance of education and the way that education is your ticket out. Education is your ticket to the life that you want. Education is the ticket to freedom, to enlightenment. And I love, love, love that way of thinking. I don't know, I love literature that has to do with education or literature that has to do with literature. I think it's so beautiful and Aduni's thirst for education is sprinkled in throughout the whole book. I mean, anytime she sees a book, she's like, gimme, gimme, you know? And there's a point in the book where she's in a different location and working a different job and is exposed to books a little bit more. No spoilers there. And she ends up picking up a book about Nigerian facts and a dictionary, and she doesn't know what a dictionary is. So she says, looks like a Bible. It's pretty much as big as a Bible, but it just has a ton of words in it. And I thought that was really cool. It's just like seeing things in this lens, is it's really important. In terms of the Nigerian facts, I thought it was cool because so there was one chapter that was talking about this really rich lady who had a ton of parties in Nigeria. And the chapter started out with the fact that in Nigeria, a lot of people consume alcohol and party and it gave some statistic for it and Aduni was like what like this is so weird and then she's she pronounced champagne like she's a really sassy girl you know and she's like I don't understand why people during this champagne or something like that you know like she couldn't pronounce champagne and then somebody corrected her and like laughed because she was being she's really funny I mean like there were times in the book where I was like this girl like oh my gosh but she's got a lot of gusto chutzpah if you will. Uh, I think this book was reminiscent, even though it's a completely different culture in a completely different part of the world. Uh, it reminded me of A Thousand Splendid Sons by Haled Hosseini. That book is marvelous. But anyway, it, the book also talks about education, arranged marriages. It's uh, centered in Afghanistan and Haled Hosseini is from Afghanistan. So, you know, fitting <laughs> but that book is just incredible the characters in both of these books the main characters are full human beings with full lives human dignity i mean i think this book is really important to read especially when you know people complain about school and professors and having tests and then you read this book or a thousand splendid sons and you're like oh <laughs> i'm the worst like this is an absolute extreme privilege compared to other people in the world but it shouldn't be a privilege it should be a right that people are entitled to i think it's really important to read books from outside of your country outside of your perspective outside of your culture so that you can get acquainted with the issues that these countries are facing and also with the beautiful things that you know the united states might be lacking in that other countries definitely have it just goes to show that reading books you know that are very similar to your situation might be fun but they're not necessarily thought-provoking or world-changing because it's what you're used to so obviously i obviously read american authors but i think it's really cool to read about authors from other places and to go more into that point i know i was ending this episode like five seconds ago but i totally forgot to talk about the theme of this episode which is underrepresented voices or the underdog if you will and i think Aduni is this beautiful picture of somebody that can and has changed her life. It totally wasn't easy and it's not something that every single person can do but it's one of those stories that you want to read because you can see exactly the steps that she took in the right direction, the suffering that she went through, the people that helped her. I mean people in Aduni's life 
are the reason she ended up, you know, going the trajectory that she did. It goes to show that, you know, people are everything. People can't just randomly pick themselves up by their own bootstraps. That's like the stupidest thing in the world. You can't do things alone. And that's why people need to help other people. Oh my gosh, I'm ranting. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but yeah, it just, it goes to show that Aduni's story is one of those stories of people with you know, an underdog voice and underrepresented. And, you know, you you follow a Dooney through the worst of the worst. And then you get this, like, beautiful experience of being able to see her rise from her situation, thanks to other people, obviously, and because of her hard work, you know. But hard work alone sometimes can't change your life completely, which is why I believe that we should help people, not just be kind, but, like, actually dedicate your life to not only serving yourself which you know eh, it's hard but anyway <laughs> yeah aduni received a lot of help and she's a very smart girl and this like underrepresented voice you can see it through the the way that the book is written you get to see the way that she talks more and you know she it's less of this internal thought of like am i saying this wrong and she's just speaking to people you know and throughout the book it's really funny part of the funny part is when she says stuff wrong or somebody says something that's confusing to her, she's like, what the heck is, what the heck is that person saying? For example, one character was talking about how she's so innocent. And she's like, my name is not innocent. My name is Aduni, <laughs> um, which I thought was really funny. I mean, obviously it, show, it goes to show her level of English in the beginning, but then towards the end, she just speaks. You know, she doesn't have this internal struggle of being like, am I saying something wrong? And it's because... She reads a lot and she gets really invested in learning and education. And yeah, again, I'm not going to spoil anything, but she does come to that realization and that like full circle moment where you see her embrace education, if you will, which she always has, but she finally gets within reach of it, which is amazing. But yes, so that is the theme of this episode and this book obviously fits it very well. Even in the title, it says the girl with the louding voice. So obviously it's about her voice, finding it and finding herself and being empowered, which is beautiful. So I recommend everyone reads this book. And it's like pretty short though. Like once again, I don't read long books. When I read long books, things go sour. This book is only 384 pages, which in my opinion, is like a small-ish book. And I could genuinely read 5,000 more. <laughs> well, okay, that's a lot. But <laughs> I definitely could read something over 500 pages with a Dooney. She was a great character. And I felt really connected to her. I still feel connected to her. I can't stop thinking about her. So anyway, if I were to rate this book out of five, I would give it a five out of five. 100%. Five out of five. This is a five out of five. So, which is, I, like, I know I said last episode that I grade, grade, <laughs> rate books really, really easily like I kind of am more lenient with them I am but a five out of five is still a five out of five man <laughs> I like a five out of five is still rare <laughs> anyway so that was that for the portion of books this week and I really hope you go out and read it because it truly was an experience I feel like I learned so so much about Nigeria and the education system but yes anyway thank you so much for listening to this portion of the podcast so that was it for this episode of Don't Read Into It. I'm your host, Noelia, and hopefully I will see you next episode, which is not next week, but the week after. Bye!